Well, uh, last year in the NFL offseason, many uh, experts and commentators were suggesting that perhaps the Cleveland Browns would make it to the Super Bowl. Uh, they had a star-studded lineup. Yeah, that's pretty funny right now. But they had a star-studded lineup. They had just gotten a new star receiver. Their quarterback, Baker Mayfield, was just coming off a record-setting rookie year. Uh, broke the record for the most touchdown passes by a rookie ever. And so expectations were sky high. And so Progressive uh, decided they wanted to get in on this. And so they decided they were going to sign Baker Mayfield uh, to do a series of 20 commercials for them during the NFL season. And if you watched any football uh, at all throughout the year, you've seen most likely one of these commercials. And in the commercial, uh, Baker Mayfield and, and his wife, they're pretending like they live inside the stadium, the Cleveland Browns stadium. And he's out there with this little tiny lawnmower cutting the, the grass on the field. And there's a circuit that blows. And then he has to go to the circuit breaker. And there's like 200 breakers. And he's trying to go through each one and figure out which one it is. And it's kind of clever commercial, but I can't imagine how much money it costs to make this commercial. Uh, we don't know how much Baker Mayfield was paid for this commercial, but it's probably in the millions of dollars. And the frequency with which they play this commercial, it had to cost an enormous sum of money. And each time I see it now, I think to myself, I wonder if they knew what they know now, if they still would have chosen him to be their spokesperson. I mean, it seemed like they were trying to get somebody like a legend or who would become a legend like Peyton Manning, who represents Nationwide. And they wanted someone, and, and especially if he made it to the Super Bowl, he'd be even more well-known and more prominent. Well, as some of you know, the Cleveland Browns didn't make it to the Super Bowl. Not only did they not make it to the Super Bowl, they didn't make it to the playoffs. And uh, by many statistical measures, Baker Mayfield was one of the worst quarterbacks in the NFL. Not only that, there was a lot of drama in the organization. The coach was fired and just kind of a disaster as a season. And I wonder if they knew what they knew, know now, would they still have chosen him to be their spokesperson? But I think about that, and he wasn't, he's not the worst spokesperson that you could have. Uh, there's far worse spokespersons. For example, uh, in the 1970s, Hertz decided they were going to enter into a multi-year partnership with O.J. Simpson. And so he became synonymous with the Hertz brand so much so that when you think about Hertz, you'd think about O.J. Simpson. And then, of course, it came out that he allegedly killed his wife brutally. And then there's also Michael Vick. Michael Vick was in the early 2000s. He was breaking records, and he was just this phenomenal new young player. And so a number of... Uh, Companies signed him to be their spokesperson, Nike and Reebok and Airtran and Coca-Cola. number of different organizations wanted him to speak on their behalf. And then in 2007, it came out that he was uh, fighting dogs and abusing dogs and also killing those dogs. And immediately, uh, almost all of uh, those companies dropped him as their spokesperson, except for, I think, Nike. And then Nike faced a lot of backlash for that for a while until they finally uh, dropped him. And then there's two that might even be worse. Uh, you might have heard of Jared Fogle. He was the face of Subway for many years. He was a 
He became famous when, as a college student, he lost 245 pounds by eating the Subway diet, basically eating Subway all the time. And he became the face of that uh, company for years and their spokesman and a symbol of hope and that you could change by eating Subway sandwiches. And then in 2015, it was discovered that he was involved in this uh, child pornography ring, had been engaged in a number of other improprieties. He had a foundation called the Jared Foundation that was supposed to help uh, obese children. And it turns out that they were basically embezzling money through that organization. And then you have Lance Armstrong. I remember as a kid in middle school and high school, those little yellow silicone wristbands that everyone would wear proudly. And Lance Armstrong was this symbol of hope that cancer could be defeated because he had cancer and then he went on after that to win seven Tour de France championships. And so he became this great symbol of hope and started this foundation called Live Strong. And then in 2012, it was discovered that he had been cheating, that he had been using performance-enhancing drugs, and as a result, they revoked all of his championships. And that organization no longer had that meaning and that hope and that purity that it once had. I mean, a spokesperson can be very important. If, if you have a spokesperson for a company who's well-known and likable, it can mean that sales profit. They say that about, you can see about a 4% increase in sales by having a good spokesperson. But if you have a bad spokesperson, it can cause sales to plummet. It can cause boycotts and backlash. So a spokesperson is important. And, and the thing that's interesting about God is that God chooses to use human spokespeople. I mean, he wouldn't have to. He could just bypass us altogether. But he chooses to use human spokespeople to declare to the world who he is, what he is like, and what he desires and requires. And the problem we see in the first part of the book of Samuel is that God has some really bad spokespeople. We looked at chapter 2 last week and we looked at the sons of Eli and we looked at the fact that they were helping themselves to the sacrifices of God and just kind of using the things of God for their own purposes. And they weren't concerned with uh, following after God or worshiping God or honoring God. Uh, in fact, even the laity were said to sometimes try to correct them, and yet they were still on this path of just doing whatever they wanted. They had no interest in serving God. And because of this, this led to a very spiritually dry and dark period for Israel. It says in the, in the text in verse 1 that the word of the Lord was rare in those days. There was no frequent vision. So imagine, imagine first you've never been to church before. You don't know God, you're not a Christian, you've never read the Bible before. And you come to church and you find that the pastor is a complete crook. He's only interested in getting more money for himself and building up his own ego and self-esteem. He's involved in all sorts of immorality. And if you're not a Christian, maybe you wonder to yourself, is that what God is like? Is God like this leader of this church? Is God a crook? Is God just trying to get whatever he can from me? If you're a Christian and you went to a church like that, you might think to yourself, how could God allow in his sovereignty someone like this to be his spokesperson? And I wonder if the people of Israel were thinking the same thing. There were some faithful Israelites who were doing their best to follow after God, and yet these sons of Eli, these priests, were leading them astray. 
They were leading them down the wrong path, and they may have wondered, how can God allow this to happen? But God has been working since the beginning. He has been setting up the stage to install his prophet, his leader, in the temple of the Lord. It says in the text in chapter 2, verse 7, that Eli's sons did not know the Lord. And because they didn't know the Lord, that's why it led to this degradation of the temple where it got to a place of darkness where God wasn't speaking. People weren't hearing from God. And so it was because they didn't know God. But also in this chapter, in chapter 3, verse 7, we're told that Samuel does not yet know the Lord. He doesn't yet know the Lord. He's ministered before the Lord, it says in the text. He knows about the Lord. He knows the things of the law, but he hasn't had an encounter, a personal encounter with the Lord. And he has to have that personal encounter. He has to come to know. The Hebrew word for know, yada, uh, indicates knowing by experience. And so he has to come to know by experience this God whom he's ministering to. Because you can't speak for someone unless you know them. You can't speak for God unless you know God. We see that God is going to reveal himself to Samuel. Samuel is sleeping. It says that he was sleeping outside uh, near the Ark of the Covenant. And in the temple in those days, there would be a place called the Holy of Holies. And in that place was the Ark of the Covenant. And the Ark of the Covenant was kind of the place where God's presence dwelt. And uh, nobody really entered that except for one time a year. And only the high priest could enter that place. But Samuel is just outside of there in the tent of meeting, and there was a lamp there. And the lamp would be lit from evening till morning the whole night. And so the reason he's there by the lamp, most likely because he's uh, attending to that and making sure the lamp keeps going. And so while he's there, he hears a voice from the Lord that says, Samuel. And he does the only logical thing. He's never heard the voice of the Lord before. He goes to Eli his mentor, his father figure, and he says, here I am, you called me, what do you want? And Eli is most likely in a deep sleep by the terseness of the way that he answers. He's probably a little bit agitated. He says, I didn't call you, go back to sleep. Again, Samuel goes to sleep. He hears a voice, Samuel. He comes to his mentor, Eli, and Eli says, I didn't call you, go back to sleep. And just as an aside, isn't it amazing that God is speaking clearly, audibly, and first, Eli doesn't even realize this, doesn't even know what's happening? Isn't it amazing that God is speaking to Samuel and he has no idea that it's the voice of God? But I think that sometimes happens in our own life where we're not expecting or listening for God's voice and then sometimes we wonder why we don't hear from him. We long for God to speak, but we aren't listening. We're not reading his word. We're not praying. And then we wonder why we don't hear his voice. We're not looking. We're not listening. We're not expecting his voice. So once again, Samuel tells Eli, or Eli tells Samuel, go back to bed. And the third time he goes back, hears a voice, Samuel goes to Eli again. And Eli finally realizes what's happening. It must be the Lord. And so he tells uh, Samuel what to do when he goes back. And then a fourth time, Samuel goes back to sleep. And this time he hears it even more intensively from God. God says, Samuel, Samuel. Samuel says, speak, Lord. Your servant is listening. 
And then the Lord tells him what he's about to do. He gives him this prophecy of judgment, how he's going to judge Eli's house and how he's going to bring destruction upon them and how he's going to remove them from their place of prominence. And so he hears that word from the Lord and then he goes to sleep and the text tells us that he was afraid to tell that message to Eli. And of course, he would be afraid. Eli's a father figure, a mentor to him, and he's got, he has to speak a message of judgment to him that God is going to judge him and remove his family from a place of prominence. And, of course, he'd probably rather keep quiet, but the next morning he gets up, and what does Eli do? He says, tell me what he said. Tell me what he said. Tell me completely. Don't hide anything from me. And if there was ever a moment when Samuel would have been tempted to compromise, it would have been right there. And yet, the text tells us he speaks completely and fully the message of God. He doesn't hold anything back. He tells the message that God has delivered to Eli. And we see in this passage that God has set the stage from chapter 1 where we see the birth of uh, Samuel to this point where there's a change in leadership. God is setting up his priest, his prophet. He's setting up someone to be the true priest to speak on his behalf to the people of Israel. And the text tells us that the Lord was with Samuel. It says in the text that none of his words fell to the ground. When it says that none of his words fell to the ground, it means that all that he spoke came true. And in the Old Testament, that was the true test of a prophet. A true prophet uh, was a prophet if their prophecies came true. And so it says in the text that Nothing that he spoke, none of his words fell to the ground. They all came true. It says in the text, from Dan to Beersheba, Israel recognized him, that that God had established him as a prophet. When he says from Dan to Beersheba, it's kind of a way of saying from north to south, or for us maybe from New York to Los Angeles. Like the whole nation recognizes who he is. And we also see that God, this isn't the the only time God is going to meet with him, that he's going to meet with him a number of times throughout the history of Israel and throughout his life. And so we see in the first few chapters of the book of Samuel that there's spiritual decay, that there's darkness, that God God isn't speaking. And yet in the midst of that darkness, God calls the child of a barren woman causes a barren woman to have a child. The child grows before the Lord, grew in favor with God and with man, and he becomes God's prophet, God's mouthpiece, the one to represent God to the people of Israel. Finally now, Israel has a spiritual leader who is interested in following after God, who will speak on his behalf. And so we see this story, and I don't think the story really ends there. I think this story points forward and anticipates another spokesman, another prophet, another person who would represent God. Because just a short time later, there would be a 400-year span called the silent years, the time between the, when the Old Testament was finished being, being written and the New Testament begun, when God was essentially silence, silent, when there was essentially darkness. And in the midst of that darkness, God would speak to a young woman, a virgin, through through an angel. And he'd cause that virgin to be with child. And it says in the text in the Gospels that Jesus grew in favor with God and with man. 
and he would become the true prophet of God. The true and perfect prophet who would declare to the world what God was truly like. And not only to declare it, but to demonstrate the truth of who God was. There's a number of scriptures in the New Testament that describe Jesus as being the true and perfect prophet. Acts 3, to 26 says this. Moses said, the Lord God will raise up for you a prophet like me from your brothers. You shall listen to him in whatever he tells you. And it shall be that every soul who does not listen to that prophet shall be destroyed from the people. And all the prophets who have spoken from Samuel and those who came after him also proclaim these days. You are the sons of the prophets and of the covenant that God made with your fathers, saying to Abraham, and in your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. God, having raised up his servant, sent him to you first to bless you by turning every one of you from your wickedness. Hebrews 1, 1 to 3 says this, Long ago and at many times and at many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days he's spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He's also the radiance of the glory of God, the exact imprint of his nature. And he upholds the universe by the word of his power. For I have not spoken, uh, uh, John 12, 49 to 50 says this, For I have not spoken on my own authority, but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, what to say and what to speak. And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I, th- what I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. So Jesus is the faithful and true representation of who God is, who speaks God's message perfectly and also demonstrates perfectly who God is. Uh, Renowned Bible scholar N.T. Wright was once asked what he would tell his children when he was on his deathbed. And he said that he would tell them, look at Jesus. He goes on and explains why. He says, the person who walks out of the pages of the Gospels to meet us is just central and irreplaceable. He's always a surprise. We never have Jesus in our pockets. He's always coming to us from different angles. If you want to know who God is, look at Jesus. If you, know what, if you want to know what it means to be human, look at Jesus. If you want to know what love is, look at Jesus. And go on looking until you're not just a spec- spectator, but part of the drama that has him as their central character. Now how could Jesus speak on behalf of God? How could Samuel speak on behalf of God? Because they knew God. They had an encounter with God. Samuel has an encounter in the temple where God meets him personally and has a relationship with him throughout his life. Jesus, likewise, has been in a perfect relationship, a trinity, one God, three persons that existed from all eternity past in a perfect love relationship. And so he knew exactly what the Father was like. He knew exactly what the Father would say, and so he was able to speak what the Father spoke because he knew God. You can't speak for God unless you know God. Now, in the church of Jesus Christ, in the New Testament, not all of us are called to what's called the gift of prophecy specifically. Some of us are called to that gift, and we don't have time to fully get into what that gift uh, entails, but In short, the gift of prophecy is where God maybe gives you a specific word for a specific situation. Uh, One example is uh, a story I heard about a missionary pastor who went to this church to preach and he was giving this message and in the middle of the message he got up and he said, I didn't really plan to say this, um, 
but I feel like there's somebody here who's just decided that he's going to leave his family. And if that's you and if that's the case, I believe God's telling you to return to your family and follow God's pattern for family life. It turned out there was a man that situation he described completely. He was sitting in an unlit balcony and he turned from his ways and he turned and followed after Jesus because of that word of prophecy. That's what prophecy is and we're not going to go into that uh, anymore. That's a message for another time, but that's the gift of prophecy where God gives you a specific word for a specific situation. And God calls that calls some of us to that, but he calls all of us, I believe, to be his spokespersons, to be his representatives to the world. Because Jesus tells his disciples in Acts 1:8, you will receive the power receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. But here's the thing. We can't be witnesses of God unless we know him. You can't speak for God unless you know God. Some of us here, maybe we're a little bit like Eli's sons. We just kind of have been doing life our own way, going on our own direction, just trying to find anything that we can to satisfy the longing in our hearts. Have no concern about honoring or following after God. Some of us maybe were a little bit like Samuel before he had this encounter with God. He was a religious person. He worked in the temple. He had a good heart. He ministered before the Lord. But he didn't have a personal encounter with God. He didn't know God by experience. And if that's you today, if you find yourself in either of those places, you can come to know God today through the person of Jesus Christ. Because we see in Jesus' life message and his death and resurrection, we see fully and completely who God is. We see that he came to the earth, he lived a sinless life, died on the cross and rose again. And in doing that, he explained two things about God. He explained, number one, God is just. God will not allow disorder or chaos to reign, that sin has to be punished, but also that he's a God of love. And that he'd rather be punished himself, that he'd rather take our place than for us to be separated from him forever. And so we look to Jesus and we see clearly and completely who God is. And when we trust in him by faith, that story becomes our story. It's not just words or an event in history, but it becomes our story that in a sense, in in a real sense, our sins were on that cross, that he was taking our place, that he was saving us. And when we believe that and trust in that, that becomes our story, and we begin this relationship of following after God. God wants a relationship with us. Others of us, maybe we're Christians, and maybe we've known God for quite some time, but maybe God has become kind of like an old friend from high school. I have a friend from high school, and uh, I used to see him every day at school, and we would do things outside of school. We would go golfing. We would talk about lots of different things, and uh, after high school, we kind of kept in touch for a while, and then life just kind of took us in different directions. He went down uh, south. I was here, and just for whatever reason, we just lost touch. And we never had any disagreement or falling out or anything like that. It was just our lives went in different directions. And now I think about that relationship. And, you know, we were really good friends back then. But now if I met him, I would, I don't know that I would know him hardly at all. 
And I think sometimes we get like that with our relationship with God. Maybe we had this spiritual experience one time where we were really close to God, but we've kind of drifted away. And maybe it hasn't even been that long. Maybe it's only been a week or two. But as we do that, we start to lose the reality of who God is. We start to forget who God is and who Jesus is to us. Truth is, there's a world out there that needs spokespeople for God. There's a world out there that needs to see and to hear what God is like. But we can't be that spokesperson unless we know God, if we ha- unless we have an intimate relationship with God. Not this, just that we prayed a prayer way back when, not just that we believed way back then, but that we have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ now, today. Because if we don't, we can speak the words, but we don't have authenticity. We don't have any power. It's one thing to say Jesus saves, but it's another thing to say, yeah, Jesus saved me, and he's changing me today, and he has a relationship with me today. It's a completely different story. Ken Blanchard tells a story that originally appeared in a book called Chicken Soup for the Soul. And it's about a little girl. Her name was Shia. And uh, Shia was four years old when her baby brother was born. And as soon as the baby was born, Shia kept asking her parents uh, to be alone with the baby. And her parents are thinking, this can't be good. They're they're thinking that she wants to, you know, play with the baby roughly or shake him or, you know, not necessarily even trying to hurt him, just being rough like little kids are. And so, of course, they said no. But over the course of time, they realized that she was very gentle with the baby didn't seem like she was jealous or had any ill will towards the baby. So after a while, they let her be with the baby for a little bit alone. And meanwhile, they're outside of her door, just kind of peeking in through the crack in the door because they just have no idea what she's going to do. And then they watched her, and they saw that she quietly, quietly went up to her baby brother, and she put her face close to his, and she said, Baby... Tell me what God, is, God feels like. I'm starting to forget. Maybe a, some of us here would say the same thing to Jesus. Jesus, tell me what God is like because I'm starting to forget. I want to have a deep relationship with you. I don't want to just have a relation. I just don't want to be old friends. I want to have a relationship with you today because you can't speak for God unless you know God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are the true and perfect prophet who came to the earth to describe and to explain and to demonstrate just who God is. We thank you that in your life and your death you explained to us that you are a God of justice but also a God of love. Lord, I pray that we would seek you with all of our hearts. God, I pray that we would have a deep knowledge, not just a head knowledge, but an experiential knowledge of knowing who you are. That we would listen to your voice. That we would be ready to hear from you. That you'd expect to hear from you. And that as we hear from you, as we commune with you, Lord, I pray that we'd be able to share your love, to share your truth with those around us, to be your spokespersons in a world that desperately needs you. In Christ's name I pray. Amen.